This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the holidays can be incredibly lonely. And that's okay if you're lonely. It's a signal, says registered psychologist and director of the Vancouver Anxiety Center, Dr. Christine Coral. She helps us understand and how to confront loneliness, gives us some strategies for turning loneliness into a journey of self-discovery and growth, finding community and belonging, making yourself feel a little peaceful about it. Distinctly different than being alone, by the way. Meta, Facebook, is under fire after allegedly trying to get children to use their platform and not doing anything about it when they do. Mike Yanni filling in for Handy Annie sheds light on that for the parents and the grandparents so they know what's going on with the kids online and why some companies are trying to bring back old gaming consoles, bring them back to life and into our lives. Are you okay with It's a Small World? And how about the Squid Game happening in real life? All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. There's a distinction between I'm lonely and I'm alone. We have to remember that. And there are times you can be both. And in fact, you can be both at once. And in fact, you can be completely surrounded by people and still experience one or two of them. And it's a strange, strange world. And the way that I like to say for this is belong. Belong is a far more interesting way, in my view of all of this conversation, to talk about loneliness and alone. Because you can belong in a place and feel perfectly cemented in yourself and not have a bunch of people around. And you can have a whole bunch of people around and not feel like you belong. And it generates alone or lonely. So we'll start this conversation with cause and effect. Which comes first? And I don't know the answer to that. And that's why Christine Coral is here to talk about that psychologist with an interesting uh, study and some great tips for it's okay to be lonely. There are some tips to make sure that your kind of loneliness is working for you. Is it working in the way that you want it to be? And um, you're not alone in being lonely. And here on The Shift, because of our nighttime conversation with all of you meatballs and misfits that listen to this show, um, sometimes we're lonely. And uh, nighttime workers experience that. So here's where we go. Christine, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So um, that's a lot off the beginning. Maybe let's start with the distinction between loneliness and alone. Well, when you're lonely, you're feeling a lack of connection with others and or not satisfied with your current relationships or feeling like you can't connect with people or join with people and and form those relationships. Whereas alone, a lot of people are quite happy in solitude. And so it's more about the quality of the relationships you have. And for some people, it's the quantity. So whenever I start working with, and, and loneliness is actually an epidemic, it's gotten worse since the pandemic. So I'm I'm working more and more on this with, with various people who come to see me in my office. The, is it working for me? The kinds of connection, the amount of connection, and it mm-hmm. is so different for everybody. Uh, one thing my daughter's really great at sharing with me, Christine, is my social battery is empty. Mm-hmm. And sometimes after a day, my social battery is empty and, and recently spent some time in Banff and all of the tourist Banff shoppers and all the small shops. And, uh, you know, being around those people outside, I find quite invigorating. I think it's mm-hmm. amazing. It feels like you're kind of in a movie with the holiday shoppers and all the things that are going on. At the same time, in the stores, I kind of go, yeah, I'm done working overtime for social correctness on cues of pardon me excuse me's and there's just too many people in here let's call it for what it is so it does really happen differently for everybody it really does and so um people vary to the degree that they're introverted or extroverted and and that's something that we see in quite young children and and tends to be fairly stable throughout life so people who are extroverted tend to be able to um 
some people say that they get more energized when they're around people, but generally they can handle more stimulation. And so they listen to music a little bit more loudly. They are comfortable dancing on speakers. They get a lot of energy from, from the people around them. Whereas people who are introverted, get overstimulated, want it a little quieter, prefer conversation. They might not be social introversion is not social anxiety. It's, it's preferring smaller groups uh, one-on-one conversations and and close connections, whereas extroversion, they also like to go out and party. And introverts can too, but it varies. So there are these individual differences that we all have, uh, but at different time points in our life, we need to take a look and see, you know, are my relationships working for me? Am I getting the kind of connection that, that I need, uh, the kind of stimulation that I need, the kinds of good conversations that I need? And so often people are busy with their lives. Once when you're in school, that's the most social time in life. You know, high school is very uh, busy. They're, you're always around other kids. And then university, if you go on to post-secondary, also very social. Once people grow up, they get busy with their jobs. Sometimes they get busy raising kids and they don't put that same energy into friendships as well. The way cities are designed as well, we don't really bump into each other. Keeping and making friendships is actually a second full-time job. So this is oh, part absolutely. of the, this is why we're seeing so much difficulty in uh, people adjusting to to having the energy to to do that. So I think mm-hmm. working remotely has been really tough for a lot of people as well. They've well, lost- I, I think that when you come home, you 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 get that um, whether you're out about all day, whether it's working or or just sort of to do list type items, right. And then you settle into the, I just don't even have the energy to go see people right now. And it's, it's not an indictment against the people, really, as much as it's just more work to maintain relationships um, and so incredibly important. The Vancouver Anxiety Center is where uh, Dr. Christine Coral is, by the way. And we can put up some links to that so everyone can um, get in touch. If you do feel like this is something that you would like to talk about, you have to know that. And the links for the general uh, phone numbers will be up at shift heads.ca as well so you can connect with those if this conversation does hit you but christine we know that some people get anxious going into christmas because of um you know some family sadness or some trauma some history uh personal storylines um then there's just societal pressures there's lots of things and some people get a charge off parts of it and burned out on other parts but we all know this we all know that once the festivities are done in december january comes And Mm -hmm. we can start to take our temperature on this sort of a couple of weeks ago, it all starts to unfold. And if you start to feel the, uh, and all the things that come with it, you can start to take your temperature now and apply some tools to at least acknowledge the state you're in, which I think if Mm -hmm. I understand correctly, what you guys are up to is that that sort of allows this sort of pre-roll, if you will, before the tsunami or maybe a Canadian appropriate um, avalanche of, of emotions, or at least confusion, fog, Mm -hmm. lack of clarity starts to unroll over the next few weeks. Well, really, you know, leading up to December is usually a pretty busy time for therapists. Uh, You know, we'll see people who are dreading the holidays because they're alone and don't anticipate having anybody to celebrate with. And and it's a time of family and connection and everybody's talking about their plans and you can feel very left out. And so I do quite a bit of work with people to think about how they can make the day special or find ways to connect. Some choose to volunteer, some choose to do some solitary activities that are restorative for them. I remind them it's just another day and that, you know, yep. lots of people go through this at different times in their life. And um, so what can they do right now to get through this period of loneliness? And if they want to change it, that's fine. Yeah, I just want before we get to yeah. that part, something just occurred to me. And I think I wanted mm-hmm. to invite some different scenarios and people into oh, this. Sure. Okay. I mean, so there are there are people that are that have lost their loved ones. I mean, uh, yes. some of our older audience that are have maybe lost their partner and you're living alone now. Uh, your kids have moved out, they're long gone, all that stuff, or they're just not able to come around this year. Mm-hmm. And then there are the people that, um, you know, the recently divorced. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole new reinvention of life. I've been divorced for 10 years now. And the the first time that I didn't have my kids on Christmas, 
we always split Christmas Day in half. But mm-hmm. the first time I didn't have, and we always invite each other for the Christmas morning part. But the first time I didn't have dinner, my buddy Jay and I made dinner together and then went to a movie. And he's sort of in the same boat as I was from that status. So there's a lot of different scenarios here. And I don't want everyone mm-hmm. to feel like, well, I'm not sad or it's bad to be sad. I just don't have my kids. Something like that, right? I mean, losing a dog or a pet before Christmas can be incredibly difficult for people to go through. So there are lots of different types of people that I specifically wanted to invite you in to make sure that you might not have thought of this yet. And this actually could be something that you're going through and just absolutely you know so you know in those sorts of situations too i certainly let people know that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be lonely and it's okay to be going through these things you know their feelings and they do come and go especially you know if if it's a, a death or a new divorce then we'll have conversations around adjusting to a new reality And it's that adjustment that's often harder, that a lot of people figure this out. You have to take solace in the fact that there are people who figure this out, that things will change, that will evolve. Maybe there's even, you know, eventually, maybe not this time, or you can't see it in the moment, but eventually you'll see some upsides and ways to make things special. Um, How to let go of attachment to certain days being special, that you can make every day special, that it doesn't just have to be this one day. Um, there's, there's lots of different places that I go with people as they're adjusting to a new reality or a big change. Mm-hmm. And I want to share one of mine because specifically my new reality this year is my son graduated from high school last year. So it's his first year as an adult and in his new job as the new guy, he's most likely going to have to work on Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to work Christmas morning for a very long time in my career for him. It's starting right away and that's different for him. That's different for me. That's going to be different for everybody. We've asked the family, say, can we do it on the 24th? Because everyone's going to be off that day. But adapting and understanding it is where your tips kind of get started. Yeah. It's, you know, really, when we talk about mental health, it's really cognitive flexibility. And if we look at any, like whether it's depression, anxiety, or or any kind of uh, mental health issue, it's cognitive inflexibility. So you want to be able to roll with things, to bend with things, to be flexible, and to not need things to go a certain way. Because life has a great way of like, disrailing our, our plans and oh god does it ever <laughs> and impeccable timing with it too mm-hmm. yeah it's always perfect and so you kind of be like okay well that's happening so what we're really trying to do in therapy most of the time therapists have their different approaches but what we're all kind of trying to do with uh, people when they come to us to work on these sorts of things is to find a way for you to be peaceful no matter what's going on in your life. And sometimes that's even being peaceful while you're sad. So that doesn't mean that we're trying to push away negative feelings or or not feel them, but like how, how to come into alignment with them, not fight them, not to uh, resist them. Because the more you try and do that, often you intensify it. If you feel like, oh, I don't want to be sad, then you're going to have a much tougher time than when you go like, this is okay, it's all right to be sad you know, and I'm going to be gentle with myself. And uh, you need to, you need a pep talk and you need to encourage yourself and you need to remind yourself that this is a moment in time. And Mm -hmm. if you're having a hard time, you know, that you can reach out and connect with people who might be able to support you and and encourage you forward. And if things need to change, if you look at your situation and you're not happy with your situation, it's okay to work to change that and to figure out a good way to do that. But in this moment, how can you bring yourself more into alignment so you find peace in that moment? Well, often we will say to ourselves, oh, I don't wanna be a burden on my friends, I'm grumpy today, I'm sad today, and da 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 da. Um, can you speak to that place of, you know, it's a, first of all, if they're your friends, it's probably not a burden anyway, let's not exactly. assume that, right? Um, yeah. But they're probably happy to help you anyway, regardless, even if you went in them full force of all of your problems, they're probably happy to help you. But also, depending on your relationship boundaries and how you go about it, it is okay to just call and say maybe something along the lines of, you know what, I've had enough of just sitting at home today. Don't suppose you want to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're sort of opening the door a little bit and you're not necessarily giving this giant wave of, you know, burden in your mind on these people around you. You're just opening the door and you're, you're in integrity. You're telling the truth. I have Mm -hmm. had enough of being at home alone and I'm looking for someone to go for a walk with or, you know, go out to the, to the store or, or to a movie or whatever. So something as simple as that, it doesn't have to be a big conversation. Can you help us understand that part? 
Well, you know, sometimes that's very common chatter in in someone's head when they have social anxiety. I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to be a burden. And they don't take a social risk and see if they ask for help, if someone will respond to that. And then, you know, I do work with people who sometimes have pretty lousy people in their lives. And so they do take that social risk and they, they are let down. So we work around like, okay, well, how can you prepare yourself? How can you cope? What's your worst case scenario? How could you cope with that? How could you cope with the rejection or embarrassment so that you feel like you can handle it? You know, it's really, when we work with social anxiety, we're not so much teaching people how to get out there. They're quite good at that. Typically, it's more that uh, they're afraid of the rejection and embarrassment. So instead, we go into that and practice being okay. And we do lots of role plays. And I, I play a jerk. And they stand mm-hmm. up to me. And they're oh, like, oh, so I wouldn't really want to right. hang out with you anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Yeah. So that tends yeah, to work a little bit better, losing the fear of rejection. Um, so that if it happens that you're well prepared for it and um, you go, OK, well, you know, that didn't work out. There's there's someone else out there, you know, plenty of fish in the sea. That's lots of people mm-hmm. out there. And, you know, maybe things are going to work out this year. But sometimes, you know, hopefully uh, you do build some connections eventually. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I put a lot of effort into figuring that out with people. You know, who could they connect with? Who could they reconnect with? Sometimes yeah. even reconnecting with friends you haven't talked with in years is yeah. uh, and is you one kind of the get a free ways. pass with those people because you, you quite often the car the first conversation back is like a real reminiscent conversation. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get a bit of a free pass with those people anyway because you yeah. get to relive it a little bit, remind yourself the good stuff, and maybe there's a friendship forward or maybe not, but you get a free pass for that sort of first couple of conversations of reliving some of those good feelings. You did talk about rejection there, which takes me back to the beginning where I had said the core of this is actually in my view of it anyway, and I'm not a PhD. So first of all, let me uh, clarify, invite the correction is that loneliness and alone really centers on belonging and um, the journey of belonging, whether that's feel like you belong in your skin, in your life, with your friends, with those, you know, realizing that, like you said, the, those, those lousy friends, Christine, Mm -hmm. that, um, that sometimes they're just lousy at being friends Mm -hmm. and, um, or the people that are in your life are, are can be. Yeah, I don't think people lousy. are lousy, but sometimes they let you down for sure. They so. let you down. Like, yeah. like it's lousy behavior, right? Like yeah. it's it, it is. Uh, I I'm cautious to say they are versus they behave, and and um, but they in a moment they're pretty. They can be pretty lousy in their decisions or how mm-hmm. they approach things, and and but that belonging thing is so integral. Belonging with yourself, though, the tips that I have here from you are are sort of centered in that sitting down and and sort of finding that little nugget of belonging with yourself, which can be really hard Mm -hmm. for some people to do. And I think that I went through that for a really, really long time in, I was doing an exercise of vision work and somebody asked me, well, what's your vision? And all I could write down was fancy cars and watches. Mm -hmm. I couldn't really, I didn't have an identity years and years and years ago. So I feel like I can relate to this journey a little bit as you describe your tips. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's, it certainly is important to be comfortable in your own company and to embrace solitude. There's times when it happens and uh, some people thrive on it. You know, if you're a writer, you have different jobs where you, you're solitary much of the time, then you probably have had more practice with that. But some people try to keep busy to keep their the voices in their head quiet. And really when, when I think about being comfortable in your own company, it's how do you talk to yourself? How are you What's your relationship with yourself? Do you like yourself? Do you not like yourself? Are you frustrated? Do you think you should be doing more, trying harder? What is that chatter? So when I work with somebody, that's really what I'm looking for is how are they talking to themselves? Are they kind to themselves? Uh, what triggers their loneliness? What are the the factors that really bring it to a head? They might be perfectly happy one moment and then a thought pops in their head and they're feeling lonely and disconnected again. Uh, And so I want to know when I'm working with somebody what they are, and then that's where we go. That's where the inquiry goes in therapy and trying to find a way that they can just be at home wherever they are and comfortable, whether or not they're with someone or not with somebody, because sometimes it does, it actually takes a while to build relationships. You know, when you move to a new city, I read research years ago saying that it takes a good two years to develop a community for yourself when you move to a new city. And I always thought, well, maybe, yeah, if you're extroverted, uh, if you're introverted, it takes a little bit longer. And I think Vancouver is known as a not terribly, I don't know, friendly place, hard to make friends here. 
Uh, so I think it takes even longer here. So it, it, it takes a lot of concerted effort. So in that period, when you're adjusting to either a new reality or move to a new city, you have to learn how to be comfortable in your own skin while you're, you're adapting and adjusting. So it's fine to seek connection, but first seek connection with yourself and learn what, um, makes you feel better when, when you're feeling lonely, when you're alone, what are the thoughts that make you feel better? What are the thoughts that make you feel worse? Right. When well, you, you said that, you said, you said that one, that one piece pops in your head and now you feel kind of crappy. Um, that also to me says that, well, if a thought can pop in your head and make you feel a certain way, you could use that to your advantage. Absolutely. You know, so I, I'm a cognitive therapist. What we really work on is what are people's self chatter? How are they talking to themselves? And did they have an especially loud inner critic? And we go looking specifically for those kinds of thoughts that seem especially painful. So sometimes it's very obvious when I'm talking to someone, they'll be telling me, uh, you know, what they've been doing or thinking that week. And then all of a sudden they get a catch in their throat and they start crying. And I'm like, oh, that's where we need to go. So, you know, it's, I have to warn people sometimes, like I actually will smile when I see, them. I'm like, oh, that's a troublemaker thought. You know, we could work mm -hmm. on that one. And uh, so I think my patients are kind of used to it because that's where, you know, the, the healing is when we find those thoughts that are like a knife in your heart, then we can start working to challenge the thought and you can't really let go of it, a thought until you don't believe it anymore. So what we do is ask us a series of questions to see if that thought is, is even true. So if someone has a thought, like I'm such a loser, then I'll start asking questions about, when do you feel like this? Are there certain times you feel like this? Are there times when you don't feel that way or you feel quite accomplished? Are there certain people that make you feel that way more than others? And so I ask these series of questions and what I'm trying to do is loosen up the thought so that it's not wedged in there so tight and mm -hmm. start asking questions that are going to have them doubt the thought and think of uh, alternative evidence for the thought and give them a little bit of relief from it. And so mm -hmm. you do that, you know, a hundred to a thousand times, you get very practiced challenging your thoughts. You learn, you, you eventually arrive at a place where you don't believe anything you think. And so mm -hmm. it can't touch you in the same way. You go, oh, that's curious. That That's an old, that's an old playlist from years I ago. I wonder why that just came up. That one was weird. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a fun one when you can sit back and, and have that, that sort of, 40,000 feet above your life frame of yes. looking at, you know, that your brain is doing what your brain does. I mean, fundamentally, your brain has one job and that's don't die today. That's it. Exactly. So anything that, yeah. that fills don't die today, uh, fulfills that part, your brain's like, I'm winning. And yeah. your emotional, your soul, your whatever uh, part of it, it lands for you. The rest of you is going, what are you talking about? We are not winning right now. Like, no, this is, your brain doesn't this is care. Not oh, sorry. Your no. brain doesn't care if you're happy. It no, just wants it doesn't. you to stay it's alive. Just, it just don't die today. So I want to, uh, I have a list here that Christine had sent me about what she just spoke about specifically in points and um, the, the specific tips um, from Dr. Christine Coral are understand your loneliness, engage in self inquiry, cultivate self compassion, find fulfillment in solitude. And the last one is seek connection. And I can you talk about how seeking connection can be that community thing? Mm -hmm. It can be the little bits and pieces, but it can also be that connection with yourself. And and how important that little bit is, it's like, you know what, I'm going to go online and find myself a used puzzle and I'm going to put it together. And I can't wait to find out if there's one missing piece because it's a used puzzle, mm -hmm. right? Whatever that looks like for you, that those, those become, that's what connection becomes. Absolutely. So, you know, when you are struggling with loneliness, you know, that relationship you have with yourself and connecting to yourself and seeing what sparks joy, seeing what brings you, uh, uh, engagement and enthusiasm, those are all important things to work on. So many people feel, you know, like if, if I'm working with someone who's, who say has, um, I mean, this isn't a diagnostic thing, but people often use the term people pleaser. And if you sort of identify as someone like, I have to make people happy and I have to let relationships proceed on their terms uh, in order, you know, for them to want to spend time with me, then I don't want to send them out right away. I want them to work on that piece first and mm -hmm. finding out, you know, sometimes when, when you people please for a long time, you don't even know what you like anymore. You're so focused on making sure everyone else is happy. You never pick the movie. You never pick the restaurant. You never say no, uh, you mm -hmm. bend over backwards and you, your preferences and what lights you up is still there, but 
the habit is to suppress that to make other people happy when it's probably not even necessary. And if it does make, if your preferences do make people unhappy, then maybe you need to find people who are your kindred spirit. So I'd want to work on that first. How do you develop this healthy connection with yourself? How do you honor yourself? Like if you would not ask your friend to sit through something that they don't like, why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you not taking care of yourself? Why are you, um, you know, at a party and you have celiac disease and eating gluten because yeah, you don't want to, so you don't offend them. You don't want to offend them. So yeah. that absolutely needs to be addressed and, and to really take a stance of protecting yourself and, and being around people who lift you up, who support you. Uh, but that has to come from you. Uh, not necessarily first, because I think you can make friends before you figure that all out. Um, mm. But you want to put your energy into people who are kind and supportive and get in the habit of taking care of yourself just as much as you would take care of anybody else. So those would be, when we talk about connection with yourself, those are the sorts of things that I'm looking at. Uh, to speak to that specifically, I would like to create, uh, imagine with me, uh, a scenario where you could walk into that party and you do feel maybe somewhat uncomfortable, whatever, but at the same time, you feel grateful. You've been included. Mm -hmm. Now here's a bunch of food you can't eat. Mm -hmm. And imagine, just imagine with me that you were comfortable, not perfect at it, comfortable saying, hey, Christine, thanks for inviting me to your party. I want you to know, I think it's beautiful. I don't want you to be offended, but I actually can't eat that stuff because I'm allergic to it but I think it's beautiful and I'm so grateful to be here. And imagine you could actually say that to your, mm -hmm. your friend or, or peripheral friend or whatever they are. Um, and, and, and then just spend the rest of the time, not worrying, just mm -hmm. imagine what that would be like. And I feel like that's a bunch of weight off everybody's shoulders. Right. And so I realize this is so far down the road for some people as they learn this, but imagine what that life would feel like. Imagine if someone calls me a cornball and I was offended and then what if imagine that my friends that I, they understood me and we communicated openly to a place where they would say, Christine, you're such a cornball and I love it. It's one of my favorite things about you. Oh, and you know, imagine and I, that gift you could give. It, and I spend so much time role playing stuff like that. So a conversation like that, when I might, I wouldn't do the happy conversation as the practice. I'd say, yeah. oh, Christine, you're such a cornball you know, you need to really tone down your humor. And I'd be like, I'm okay with it. So this would be how the role play would sound like, I'm okay with it. Yeah, but you know, mm -hmm. people are going to think less of you if you're too corny. You know, they're not going to take mm -hmm. you seriously. They're going to put you down. They're not going to listen to your advice. I don't know. I seem to be doing okay. And, yeah. you know, that's if they don't funny like stuff it, they right can there, go actually. see another yeah. therapist. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's the idea behind assertive defense of the self, which is quite an effective approach to treating social anxiety and helping people say no, that you mm -hmm. are unapologetically yourself. And if somebody doesn't like it, well, you know, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's filled with kindness, right? Filled so. with kindness. It's not mean, it's not aggressive, but you stand yeah. up for yourself just as if you would stand up for your best friend. Well, remember, no thank you is a perfectly um, grammatically correct sentence. Absolutely. So uh, this is amazing. We'll put some links up for everybody. Imagine what, if you could work on a couple of things today um, and know that even four weeks, six weeks from now of your life, that one scenario that comes up that maybe you don't feel comfortable in, just one scenario you went, oh, I'm good with that. Just one, one time of mm -hmm. all the things. And you're not alone in being alone. There's everybody, uh, ironically, with all the connections, we're on a video call, but you know, people are more alone than ever even though we have more opportunity at connections. So this is the, I'm a big fan of this work. You know that I've been sharing this on the show forever. It's integral leading into the holidays um, that we, that we open ourselves up to mm -hmm. trying some new things and listening is the key. And uh, that's all I wanted to do here. So uh, Dr. Christine Coral, PhD psychologist, uh, loneliness is not necessarily our enemy. It is a signal though. And I think that that's in integral for us to hear that there's nothing bad and wrong. It's just a signal that something isn't quite fitting. Workability is my incredibly square word to apply to it. It's not working. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Okay, so at shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group, these are posted there, but I did want to bring them up. 1-833-456-4566. That's the Mental Health Talk Suicide Canada hotline. And as of this Friday, that turns to be 988. Adults can text 741-741 immediately for contact as well.
This is the Shift Podcast. Next week, Handy Andy Barrar returns from his trips abroad shopping for suits. And in the meantime, Mike Yanni, the gadget guy, is filling in for Handy Andy, doing a fantastic job. Last week, Mike, we promised a story about Handy Andy, and you've had some time to think about it. You've had some time to go through your photos on your phone, some of them in the hidden category, and, uh, and discover maybe relive, maybe uh, re-traumatize some of your Handy Andy stories. Were you able to come up with a story that you can share with us? What does it say when you go through all of your memories and all your photos and you're like, uh, no, can't say that. No, can't do that. And like 99% of everything <laughs> should not be said on the radio, on national radio. What Perfect. does that say? Well, it says uh, it was a good time is what it does. It's always, hey, it's always a good time with Andy. It's always going to have an interesting end to it. Um, I will say this. A lot of my time I've spent with Andy was in Vegas, usually at the Consumer Electronics Show. But I've traveled numerous places. And I guess really, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, Andy is always up for a good time. And he will always close down wherever you are. Yeah. So if you, are, if you have the energy to, to stay up, you're, you're with the right guy. And I, I'm sure... Our viewer or listeners know about Andy's whistling. Mm -hmm. We do, yeah. We've heard right? him. he's whistled for us. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to not myself take credit, but I think with the tech journalists that Andy hangs around with uh, in Vegas, I would like to think that the inspiration for him to pursue this came from some beverages and some liquid courage at a meeting at a bar in Vegas. Oh, wow. Okay. To really take that inspiration and, and do something with that whistling. That see that creates the uh, that lets the imagination go of like hey what kind of bar <laughs> and what kind of conversation inspires a guy from Surrey BC to uh, take on professional whistling, um, and if anybody's going to do story. something like that, yeah, thank you, <laughs> I appreciate that. I do want him to come back next week. Um, that that inspires that kind of that thing. I always feel like Andy is willing to literally try anything. He can meet anybody anywhere and he's happy to talk to anybody. He's the guy where you're like, dude, we got to go. Come on. And you got to pull him out of places um, to do um, that. So yeah. hundred percent. If he sees something shiny, he's, he's gone. Yeah, it's gone. You got to grab him. Yeah, it's true. That's got to be hard at CES. Um, <laughs> hard to rope them in. Okay. Uh, Mike Yanni is here filling in for handy Andy, and we're going to talk about some gadgets in particular use of the gadgets. Mike, you wanted to get started here because meta a la Facebook and underage users, I mean, it used to really just be a click box. Are you 13? Yes or no. Nobody really cared if you were or not. As a parent, I know that we worked really hard to balance where the kids were online, but because of the kids' sports in school, some of the teams they were on, other parents didn't necessarily agree with my philosophy. So it was hard to keep them off it. What's the story? No, it's true. And I think a lot of parents will be following the story to see what happens because you might remember it was a couple of weeks ago, it was revealed that there's 33 states in the US that are actually filing a lawsuit against Meta. The concern is they claim that, they're, that Meta is harming young people's mental health and contributing to the youth mental health crisis. And what they're saying is, although there is a rule that Meta has a rule, and they post it, that if you are under 13, you can't use Facebook or Instagram. The belief is that this company is actually not only allowing it, but encouraging it and then gathering information on these underage users. So this lawsuit came came to light a couple of weeks ago. But what's really interesting now is that a lot of this this initial document, which I believe is 233 pages, a lot of it was blacked out. Mm. That you couldn't read all the details. And now it's been redacted. And that blacked out portions are now available to read. And some mm. kind of interesting stats and some claims. And you got to say, these are all claims. These are all part of part of a lawsuit, right? But, you know, the, the states, these different states, um, they're claiming that 
you know, Meta received more than 1.1 million reports of underage users on Instagram. And this was all through the, the, the online reporting tool where you, yeah. you have to go in and you report, you know, somebody using it. Yeah. And they Which claim is also that, terrible, let's just say. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Right away. It's not exactly user-friendly and for a reason, right? Well, and I would just like to add to your story that oftentimes you'll go post something on there. I mean, there's been on our Facebook group, people have literally put out like porn, tried to put porn videos on, you report it. And they, the response is, we don't have enough people to check this right now. So blah, blah, blah. Right? It's like, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. I agree with you. And now they're saying since the early, early 2019, it's only disabled a small fraction of those 1.1 million reports you know it goes on to say that they routinely collect and, and continue to collect information even though they were aware of the the child's age but you know we're talking about like information like their location their email addresses all of course without parental consent um and basically that they're saying this is this was an open secret this is an open secret within the company that this, this is being done so really interesting here because i mean meta could face hundreds of millions of dollars or more you know in in penalties and you know there's 33 states ganging up against the company. Yeah. Isn't it reminiscent of tobacco back in the day about selling to kids, right? Yeah, it, it is. And it kind of raises that question too. You know, obviously we know tobacco is, is bad for your health. Okay, well, social media, mm -hmm. right? There's that huge question about the impact on on younger kids. Well, yeah. well not only younger kids, let's be honest. Social, social media has a mental health impact on everybody. It doesn't matter yeah. your age, but specifically very young well there's the there is the story that i'm not going to get into it but there is a story on globalnews.ca today about the 12 year old boy in bc um who uh, died by suicide with online extortion now it doesn't specifically say in the article of how he was extorted or anything like that it does not say facebook i, I don't want to say that but online bullying uh, access point is an access point and when kids can't handle it um a dreadfully sad news about this young man. Um, and then you hear stories like this in businesses that are not doing anything about it. You got to communicate somehow, right? That's the thing is it's it, in cases of like this with young kids, they've got to communicate somehow and they are communicating through these various platforms. So I, I find it disturbing as a dad though. Um, it's very, uh, the helplessness in it is frustrating the takeaway, the phone, and then, you know, kids with reasonability, they don't even have, you know, critical reason really until they're 13. That's when it starts. So try to talk them and get them to understand, talk them into it and say, by the way, it's not safe for you. <laughs> All my friends are on it, but you know, good luck trying to convince them. And that's the problem. They're all on it, right? You can, you can talk to your, your son or your daughter and say, you shouldn't be on it. These are the reasons why they don't care. They just know their friends are on it and they want to be a, a part of that conversation. Yeah. Also interesting though to note about this is that Meta is kind of putting this back on the parents because they're suggesting actually that there should be laws in place where if your child is going to buy an app through an app store, that a parent has to consent to it. Yeah. Well, so basically fair. it basically it takes off the pressure of checking IDs and physical, you know, IDs of, of children and minors and putting it back on the parents saying, well, it's up to you to guardian your parent, your kids, and it's up to you to approve yes or no if they could use it. That's interesting. If I was to change the topic, change the clarity, if you were to say that would be like my son goes to the bar, well, my son's 18, uh, and that's legal age here. If my daughter is 17 and goes to the bar, then I get arrested because she went to the bar um, and because I should have been somehow overseeing my daughter's behavior uh, at that point, right? So, I mean... To an extent, sure. At thirteen, if my thirteen-year-old's trying to, you know, bootleg liquor, then yeah. yeah, that's probably on me. But I mean, that doesn't really make much sense. I'm not saying like I don't know. I I kind of like the idea of putting at least some onus to the parents, but I yeah. think it's especially for the app download. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel that that is just a way to wipe your hands clean, saying not our problem. We'll continue yeah, well, to do what we do. It's up to you guys to, and then we'll continue to take the information and sell it. I can't help you know? but see the, the, the tobacco thing, right? Like that's yeah. like saying like, if you, if your kid goes to the store and buys this product, well, then that's the store's problem. And if they steal them from your house, then it's your problem. And, uh, by the way, we're not the problem because we make cancer sticks, right? Yeah. No, there's some similarities here for sure. Yeah.
yeah, excuse me, I need to get on my private jet and fly to my next meeting. So, <laughs> and, and, but that's it. That's the profitability. It's in there. Interesting. I'm curious. 877-399-9898. How does that strike you? Share your thoughts on young people and, and online. I mean, Snapchat and TikTok are way worse for the data and location. Are. The location services, the Snap Maps is very scary. They're all, they're all pretty bad. It's kind of funny too, because it's, it's interesting that this is coming through, you know, through Meta and they're the target here, especially with Instagram. But my daughter, who's 12, I had asked her about Instagram the other day. And she's like, Dad, yeah, you can tell you're old. You're on Instagram. Yeah, right. <laughs> and my kids she's at 18, they're like, you're old because you're on Facebook. Of that, that too. <laughs> and they're on Instagram. So they're old. Yeah. But uh, yeah. she's all about, you know, Snap. Uh, not Instagram, not Facebook, but Snap and, and some of the other ones out there for sure. Yeah, crazy stuff. Mike Yanni's here filling in for Handy Andy Brock. Okay, we are going to need to take a break in just a second here. But I want to talk about it quickly. Um, video games, but the consoles you can buy of the old retro games. The old Nintendo was amazing until you realize you're playing, you're not good at it anymore, and you're playing the same Mario level over and over and over again. Um, it had a pretty quick burn, and yet there's some pretty big demand on some new ones that are not new, but they're old. Where do we go, Mike, with this conversation? Because I get excited about playing some of those old games. I, 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 but at the same time, man, it's, we don't have time like we did back in the day. It's, it's true, you know, and it's interesting because Nintendo made an awful lot of money off those mini consoles. It didn't last long. It was kind of a, a quick, a quick, you know, flash. Mm-hmm. But another company is trying to make a big comeback. They're struggling, but I'm curious if they can do it. Okay, let me ask this it, question then of the shift heads. If there's one game that you wish you could have back, one, you can only pick one. What is the one game? Oh, you have to save your answer for one second. We'll be right back with Mike Yanni. This is the Shift Podcast. Handy Andy Barrar is back next week. Mike Yanni, the gadget guy, you can catch him on mornings on Global, um, is filling in in the meantime. The question before the break was, if you could have one old game back, what would that old game be? I'll go first. Well, I got two. One was, I think, B-52 Bomber Command, which was I think was in television or Coleco in television. Um, the other one is Utopia. I would like a new version of Utopia. It was two islands. And you had to like build farms and stuff and the weather would come and it would rain on your crops. It was basically like Farmville, but way back in the day. And I loved it and you played head to head, but that was it. You just, that was, that was it. You played head to head and then it was over. And then you did the exact same thing over again. These old video games, Mike, they're fun. What's yours? Wow. I think mine is Aztec. Oh, I I don't remember the game. I remember the name. Yeah. It was just kind of a one of those old school um, side-scrolling adventure, horrible graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember getting killed by the crocodile over and over again. Um, that I think would be my go-to. You know what I would actually like to see though? I would really be fascinated to see a remake of the original Super Mario Brothers, but mm-hmm. just with modernized graphics. Yeah. But, but, but Same a kind of copy of what it was. Yeah. That would be yeah. interesting to see uh, Nintendo's take on that if they could do that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, so what is your go-to game? Bubble Bobble also comes up for me, 877-399-9898. Now, here's the story. Nintendo made a bunch of money off their games. They did it, and some other groups have done it. There's a Coleco that is out, that has been out for a little while, uh, and that was okay. That was, you know, the old touchpads were the same and crappy. But there, there's been a bit of a battle here for some of the other, uh, which might be good, great gift ideas. The Atari, the new Atari with the big joystick, those are out. You can buy those for gifts for Christmas. I saw those at Costco last week, and mm-hmm. they were going fast. Mm-hmm. Coleco, by yeah. the way, was one of my very first consoles. Uh, it, no, mine I think a Gemini. It, it, mine was a knockoff. Gemini, wow. Um, I liked Coleco a lot. I used to play Smurfs. Smurfs. That's so Smurfs. funny. Uh, and they're Tron. so terrible. Tron, yeah. Not Tron, no, sorry, no, not Tron. Um, um, Zaxxon. Zaxxon mm. was the one. Uh, um, good memories, though. Really good memories. Remember the and days just... playing games where you had to use the cassette and you'd have to oh. load the cassette and then you would die in the first four seconds and wait 15 yeah. more minutes for the cassette to load? I was going to say, um, I loved Coleco until my, do- uh, my sister 
at the time. Uh, well, my sister, oh my gosh. Um, she got Cabbage Patch Kids. And then that was oh, kind God. of the end. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible game. Yeah. Horrible terrible game. game. So many ways. Okay. Um, so if you go online, you can buy the old Nintendos. You can get the Ataris yeah. in the store. Those are great. And there is one more piece of this puzzle. In television. When's the last time you heard about it in television? Yeah. That was a long time They're ago, hey? Trying so hard to make a comeback. So so this actually started in 2020. So three years ago, um, somebody bought the rights to it. Uh, the guy who bought the rights to it, by the way, I should say, is uh, he was fairly well known. He had a TV show. Uh, he did uh, some composing for a bunch of video games. Uh, he bought the rights to it and became the CEO of the company and decided he was going to re-release in television but kind of like a modern twist on it. So kind of like Coleco, remember how it used to have the little game pads with the um, little touch, the touch pads on it? Mm-hmm. Same thing, except you'd have touch screens instead. Mm. And so the idea is this was supposed to be a super affordable, family-friendly gaming system. It's an Android-driven uh, console. Um, and they said that there's going to be exclusive games and, and cheap games, like affordable games. We're talking about $20 games. Mm. But these are the retro games with a brand new look so they look new but they still have that old classic game feel right so I, I like the idea of it you know kind of started with kickstarter and then within the first year everyone who bought into it, it's like okay well where's the console no it, it well it didn't come out um they're, they're still working on it this console has struggled for three years now and they still don't know if it's going to make a comeback the latest attempt now is that uh, they're, they're trying to raise money to mass produce the console. Huh. And the latest attempt now is they've released a app for your Android phone called uh, Amico at Home or Amico. I've heard it say two different ways, in television Amico or television Amico. Um, and so basically you can play some of the newer games they're designing for the console on your Android device. But here's the catch. You need two phones to actually play the game. One phone is your screen. And one phone is your oh, controller, wow. so kind of, yeah, not exactly the best setup. Well, the, the app, it, the app cost it doesn't like help you bucks. with a twenty dollar game when you've got to have two fifteen hundred dollar phones to do it. Right, but they're hoping by selling this is going to give people a glimpse of what this console, the idea of the console is going to be. So if it launched, was it a week ago, a couple weeks ago? Earlier views are it is horrible. <laughs> it barely plays. It freezes, and of course, the company saying it's in beta. But they're struggling now with the app as well. So the question is, is this, is Intellivision Amico ever going to actually hit the stores? But I think the bigger question, which you kind of alluded to before, was does anyone want it and do we need it? Yeah. I like the idea of some cheap $20 video games that are very simple that would be really kind of cool to go against the old Intellivision. Like, because I have the Intellivision, um, like the, I don't know, the the new classic one like or the, with all the old graphics oh right yeah. I, and, I, and when you look at the videos for this one that you know the the videos of the games with the updated graphics they look a lot more fun and they do. and playable right um and like the skiing stuff i like i think that's it's really kind of cool to get some of those old games and the ideas of those old games this thing is so incredibly disorganized even their shopify store isn't even masked with a domain it just is like in television Right. Like it's not even it's not even put together and you can buy the game. I don't understand. You can buy the games, but you can't buy the console. You can only pre-order the console, which is also weird. Yeah. And um, although there are some cool games on there, I don't know if you did you look like biplanes. Remember that old game? Like those games yeah. are there and they're re, they're redesigned and rebuilt. That's cool. I, I agree. I like the idea of this because those new graphics, it's, it's fun to see how you reimagine these old games with brand new graphics. It's kind of neat to see. But I think even the problem though is that with emulators out there right now that you can buy online and just play games online or just playing on your smartphone, it's almost begs the question, do you need to splurge, you know, $250 US? I mean, it's it's way cheaper than the other consoles, don't get me wrong. That's quite a bit of money to play an old slash new game, like a retro, especially a retro game, like the simple, because the games are simple. You're going to play it for 10, 15 minutes at a time. You're not going to play this for five hours or for, you know, five hours at a time. Like you're playing the new Zelda game. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah. I don't, I don't think, I think this is, we're the targets here. You know, 
older, they're not looking for the younger generation, although they claim it's a family console. Yeah. This is great. I, I think this is really interesting. I, I, I think it would be fun to get. It would be fun, but it's fun for you and your wife to play. Probably not necessarily you and the kids. Maybe the young kids could play it. It's kind of like playing some of the more simple, cheap games on your phone. And um, But when you look at the graphics in those games, I don't know if you can actually pull that off. It seems like an awful lot, right? Of Yeah. Um, it's and the kids will play for 10 minutes. And yeah. they're like, see, I'm going on my iPad. That's so crazy. By the way, if you go to Intellivision, um, their entire store is filled with T-shirts. They're basically a T-shirt company now. (laughs) (laughs) Got to make money somewhere, right? (laughs) Apparently, because you're not selling the consoles. There you go. Mike Yanni is here. We'll put a couple links up on this so you can at least see what uh, we're talking about with this video game console for this new Amico Intellivision thing. And uh, you can decide if you you want to get in on it. Temporarily unavailable white and black, in case you're wondering. Um. There we go, Mike Yanni. Thanks for filling in for Handy Andy. We're going to confront him about his uh, late night shenanigans next week. You might want to tune in. And uh, he's going to just sigh and tip his head back and go, you were talking to Mike Yanni again, weren't you? (laughs) That's the way it goes. Thanks for being here, brother. Always a pleasure. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with 877-399-9898, that's our phone number here on the shift for you to contribute and share your thoughts on these stories, you ready Ryan, are you okay with, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, are you okay over there, yeah, I totally forgot which computer I was hooked up to, yeah, oh, completely forgot. I'm here, though. That's very good. I'm here. Thank yeah, right? Glad. Yeesh. Okay. Yeesh. 2020, I, I don't know our, what we're okay with here. I don't... Um, well, are you okay yeah. with... I yeah. see. This is weird. Okay. You know, I screwed this up completely, John. Do you want Let me, me to just do start? Or... Let me just do this the way Ryan wanted me to do <laughs> okay. it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Is it Friday? Oh, nope. Uh, 2023 close. is winding down. We only have a little over four weeks left of it. But what uh, does that mean? We have run out of wild things to talk about. Are you okay with? <laughs> it's a small world. Uh, it is the worst ride at Disney. I think uh, no, I can't stand it. it. I can't stand it. It's just, yeah, you don't go on. It's the ride that doesn't have a long line. So you just go. You've heard about it. You've heard the song. And you go and you check it out. And yeah, sure, you know, you're in the boat. And there's the puppets. And you see all the, you know, nations of the world. But the thing is, it's just, it, it, it's not fun after more than being in a minute. And then the song won't stop. And you think, am I ever going to leave this dreaded tunnel? I remember there was this zombie video game called Left 4 Dead 2 and somebody made a map of Disneyland as like a modification and me and my friends played it and we were trapped in the tunnel of It's a Small World fighting hordes of zombies. That was not as scary as the actual ride It's a Small World. Very, very passionate about this matter. Yeah. uh, My friends and I yeah, I feel like I should say that. Um, I I didn't go on it. I've only been to Disney once. It was part of Dreams Take Flight, and that's an amazing organization. And uh, we we went on the log jam ride, whatever that is, and we went on like Space, Space Mountain. Mountain? The, yeah, and then we went on like one of the roller coastery ones in the dark. That was cool. Which is probably Space Mountain. Which I is, don't know. Yep. And okay, and then um, and then we were just amazed by how these people who volunteer for Dreams Take Flight just literally carry these kids on their shoulders and then put on their flight attendant uniforms and fly them home again all in one day. It's wild. Uh, just amazing. So I didn't really get to pay too much attention of the Disney things, so I'll take your word for it. Uh, the infamous ride at Disney attracts thousands of fans every year and apparently some non-fans. Don't forget about the wild ones. Yeah, it really is a small world after all. A half-naked man filmed hopping off the popular ride at Disneyland and then walking around barely clothed, sitting in the water. Disneyland workers stopped the ride immediately 
Anaheim police responded, this is about 1.30 this afternoon, to help security detain this guy. Officers arrested the 26-year-old man for indecent exposure and for being under the influence of a controlled substance. I don't know why anyone would pay that much money to go into a park and act that way. Good point. This guy taken to the hospital, though, say, just as a precaution. Now, I can think of a lot of places to get naked. And, um, mm-hmm. well, I mean, there's one place where somehow being a streaker or getting naked just gets more creepy, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, this is a great time to hit the next clip, John. That's so crazy. I can't believe someone would do that at Disneyland. That's just creepy. It's what it is. It's uh, It goes from being, hey, there's a naked guy to weirdo, you know? It's very weird. And this guy in the video is out of his mind. He is clearly not okay on a trip. Not a good trip. Not a good one at all. But he is clearly not on the same plane of existence Jeez. as everybody else is here. Yikes. Uh, that report was from KTLA, by the way. The video posted to Instagram is fairly tame as he remains in his underwear. Uh, a very not safe for work video shows the man wading through the outdoor part of the attraction completely naked. Yep. <sighs> I mean, I admire the willingness to just get naked and be free, man. Just set it free, man. Just time and place, friend. Time mm-hmm. and place. That's not the that, that's not the time, nor is it the place. Absolutely not. Protect the babies. Always protect the babies. Not okay. Um, also, let's take a moment to acknowledge the security people who probably had to tackle them. I would say it's probably not the scariest or wildest thing they've ever seen there. Mm. Could be, though, at the same time. It could be. It's probably an upper. It's it's like yeah. one of those when you get hired as a security guard at Disney, they like prevent or present a couple of scenarios training scenarios and then they go mm-hmm. all right back in 2023 this happened this is what you should do in this scenario could be i bet it's it's a new training scenario well there's a chapter there i'm sure how to catch slippery people <laughs> yes very, it's very slippery. slippery it's very slippery are you okay with squid game speaking of slippery squid game yeah it's i for, kind of forgot about squid game honestly but that show was I would say the biggest cultural phenomenon on TV since like Game of Thrones when it came out, everybody was talking about it. Everybody pandemic was timing costumes. Yes, pandemic timing. It was such a refreshing thing to watch during the pandemic. It, it felt weird. Also kind of, it was dystopic, right? Which made it kind of relatable to what we were living through at the time. It's just that show came, a, came out at the right place at the right time. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting because it's been so long since it came out. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing a second season. Yeah. Well, they uh, said they were anyway. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. But I did enjoy the show. I think it does live up to the hype. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, still go watch it without a doubt. Definitely. Uh, okay. It, it was a long time ago now. It's got to be a couple of years, hey? One of the biggest TV mm-hmm. shows ever made. At least most successful. While we wait for season two, which they said was going to happen, Netflix has given us a real-life version of the show, reality TV style. Squid Game, the challenge, took this chaotic gameplay of Netflix's a smash hit Korean drama Squid Game TV show and made it into a reality, of course, without the fatal consequences. It's probably good for the insurance. Uh, the stakes are still high. Contestants from around the world compete for an impressive $4.56 million U.S. prize, $6.2 million Canadian, the largest ever single prize in game show history. Begin. You must now pick two players to eliminate. There is quick games. Let's get real. Let's sink these ships. We are a good team. You're the brightest light in here. People's shoe colors are starting to come out. I gotta be free. This is a $4.56 million game. The money is so Do you feel like they did a GoFundMe to be like, 
How much can we fundraise? Not four, not 4.5, 4.56. Ha I feel like, if I remember correctly, that was the amount in the show. I, I might it? be wrong, though. It, it might be Maybe. similar to what was in the TV show. Adjusted for inflation, perhaps? It is a very oddly specific amount, like 4.5. It, it why is. not just four? Or why not five? Well, well, you remember it. That's why it's a, a great thing to do. For example, mm, is I'll meet true. you at six oh six, is a great thing to do because people will remember six oh six, right? So it works from a marketing perspective. But all is not well in Swid Game. That's a typo. Contestants of Netflix reality competition show Squid Game: The Challenge have threatened legal action over alleged injuries they obtained while filming, including hypothermia and nerve damage. Personal uh, British personal injuries law firm announced on Thursday that it sent letters of claim to the show's production company, Studio Lambert, on behalf of two Squid Game, the challenge contestants. The firm said the lawyers are currently in communication with other participants who may also want to file lawsuits. The firm express solicitors said the unnamed competition show hopefuls were injured as a result of poor health and safety standards on set. Report has early emerged with anonymous quotes from contestants claiming conditions during the red light, green light challenge were akin to a war zone. A participant told the UK's son at least one player had to be carried out on a stretcher. Though the entire game takes only about five minutes in the Squid Game, the challenge episode, contestant Lorenzo Nobilio told the BBC it took her seven hours to cross the red light, green light finish line. In January, Netflix designed Alley... Oh, boy. In January, Netflix denied allegations that any Squid Game The Challenge hopefuls were seriously injured, but did say three of the show's 456 contestants received medical treatment for mild injuries. Hey, at least they didn't die. They did not. They did not die. (laughs) Like the real show. Yeah. uh, Here's the thing. Nobody should be injured in the the quest for to be on TV in, in game shows, you know, like fear factor, right? I'm sure some people had a couple of, of injuries on fear factor is certainly mentally traumatically. But if, if you're going to go on a reality show, I would say the one you are most likely to be injured on would be the one that's based on a show where people die. If they lose the competition, you know what I mean? Like, it's well, just, it's, I, I'm not surprised to see this kind of stuff come out from this production at all. Well, basically, out of the 456 contestants, don't 455 of them die? Yeah. In the show, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's okay, but are we surprised? <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I was okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose that's probably not the proper legal response. Oh, I hurt my knee. Hey, but you're alive. It's probably yeah, not good. It's definitely not. <laughs> Um, hmm. are you okay? I, I, I saw it on the promo today and you can see how the bickering and they really leaned into the sort of the bickering and the, I know best and, but they're kind of playing it up like big brother where there's a room where they talk to the window and talk about what they're going through. And I don't know. Got a little bit of everything. Yeah. I think it it might be worth watching. Uh, Give it a go. Are you okay with... Can't find it. Cruise? No. What you, I don't know what happened. One. Are we? Yeah, remember? Are you okay? <laughs> Why did we move them? Are you okay with cruise ships? Surprise. Whoa, really? I was looking for pigs. pigs oh, no, next. we, we got to say pigs because we're running out of time and we got to hit the cruise ships because we got to Okay, talk about cruise ships. right. Cruise ships. Uh, cruise ships. Eh, not my not my jam. I like to go for walks. Not, and that's not my jam. Yeah, not my thing. However, I am in desperate need of planning like a big vacation. And the thing is, traveling abroad, leaving Canada is unbelievably expensive anywhere in the world. And in terms of bang for your buck, cruise ships, 
definitely have that going for them. I just don't know if I want to share my vacation with like a family from California and have to, you know, live with them for like three weeks. You know, I'm just not sure if that's my thing. Well, I, I just think, I mean, they're convenient, sure, and lots of things to do and really pretty and all that stuff. Yes, I'm just not that into communal bathing in pools and hot tubs that I want to do it with the same people over and over again and make some human soup, you know? I, I That's not my jam. But what is the longest you would stay on vacation? It's an interesting question. There was a plan for thousands of people to embark on a three-year cruise. So good, it's called a three-year cruisy around the world. Key word there, the plan. Life at Sea Cruises had promised passengers of its inaugural three-year voyage of the trip of a lifetime. They were supposed to set sail on November 30th after a couple of delays, traveling to 382 ports across 144 countries over the span of three years on vacation. But for months now, there have been signs that something might not be right. With prices ranging from roughly $30,000 per person each year to well over a hundred grand, Carrie Whitman tells us she already paid $32,000 for the trip, also selling her home and most of her possessions, preparing for a life on the high seas. Even in planning, there were challenges. Like there were no, no travel insurance companies that could put a plan together for three years. Now the would-be passengers like Meredith and Carrie left wondering if they'll get their money back. No, I'm hopeful and that they will hold up their end of the contract and pay us back in the time that they've outlined. And um, I really do hope that happens. If that doesn't, then that's another story. ABC News obtaining messages passengers received from the owner of Life at Sea's parent company, saying the company was unable to purchase a ship after investors declined to support us further due to the unrest in Middle East. After that, we tried to purchase another vessel in which we could not succeed. In a message the next day confirming the Life at Sea cruise trip is canceled. But telling USA Today on Saturday, we're in talks to acquire a similar vessel. If the December 1st sale is jeopardized, we offer alternative departure dates or expedited refunds. We reached out to Life at Sea Cruises, but have yet to hear back. Okay. So that's from ABC News. Business Insider reports the company had planned for between eight to 900 mostly American passengers. As of August, about 40% of the 540 cabins had been reserved. Life at Sea had promised customers renovate a vessel with world-class amenities, including business center, a library, 24-hour on-call hospital, free medical visits, education classes for adults. There were also promises of state-of-the-art wellness center, multiple dining options, and a philanthropic initiatives that guests could register for. Three-year cruise canceled. Now, they did say trouble in the Middle East, which has been going on for about a month. So they were that means they were looking to buy the boat the month the boat was leaving. That's probably not good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that didn't happen. But there are people that had sold their houses in order to go on this trip. They have nowhere to go. They've been told they'll get airfare home again. But they have nowhere to go because they had to give up their places for three years. It's terrible. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.